0: The last announcement for the semester. You've had a great year, and I'm proud of each and every one of you. But now it's time to go out into the real world, and I just want to wish you all good luck. So, you're still thinking of me just like I know you should give you. Hello again my friends. What is happening out here? What's going on? What's shaking? What's doing? Uh, cameras are my enemy. Not really, but they kinda kinda piss me off in a little bit of the way. So this is gonna be. God dang it, I don't have shit set up. I was all ready to go last night, but this gonna be my fourth show this week, guys. Fourth show in a week. Um, I did not realize until earlier today that uh, it was Mother's Day coming up this weekend. Uh, what's the date on that? Stand by. Uh, let's see May tenth. So today's the eighth that I'm recording this. Uh, you'll see this Mother's Day. It'll be a Mother's Day release. How exciting! <laughs> it might not be so exciting once you uh, once you realize what I'm doing and once you hear the content. But, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it. Uh, Mother's Day has a special meaning to me, and I'm going to explain why. A couple of different reasons, really. Um, I explained one. No, when was that? No, that was episode 027 that I was talking about last night. Oh, just got done working in the yard, man. I've been, well, I didn't just get done. I've been, I took a shower. I've eaten already since then. I've already had drank one beer, but. Been in the yard all day with the pop. Uh, we got quite a bit done. We've been just cutting wood all day planks, uh, 29 and 3 quarter inch planks for my boardwalk, replacing all the rotten and fallen boards over the floor. Almost five years I've been living here, you know, things are just, uh, things rot, man. Wood wood uh, rots eventually. So, I've been doing that all day. Did a lot of sanding. I'm uh, going to get back out there tomorrow and uh, stain the parts that I've uh, sanded and some of the new boardwalks and stuff. We still have a good uh, third of the section, or maybe a quarter of the section that we're working on to get uh, all the way to the back of the landing at the back of the yard by the shed and then we've got uh 88 more planks to replace maybe a few here and there that are still going to be usable and i can just reuse but 88 possible new 29 and three quarter inch uh planks that we got to cut and uh remove all the old replace some of the under um underfooting that these boards mount into yeah And then screw the new boards down into it. And then uh, eventually get it all stained. And that'll be the last, uh, that 88 pieces right there are the last. It's the last little angle that comes together like this to form and complete all the boardwalks. I've replaced everything that is rotten and fallen in with new stuff. We replaced all the under that had rotted out uh, with new, um, hell, I don't even know what that fucking board is called. But replaced it. All new screws, uh, some two inch screws in some places, three to be a little more secure in others, depending on the the quality and condition of the uh, the underboard that we're screwing into. God damn, what the hell's the name of that board? Doesn't matter. So, like I said, it's going to be a Mother's Day episode. What does that mean? Well, well, first off, I've got the the new camera going again last uh, last night. I uh, didn't have the battery fully charged. Something is wrong. My power strip down here, one of the uh, the outlets that I had the batteries char- plugged into, obviously was not charging, and um, I didn't realize that until after the camera had cut off. So I lost about 20 minutes of the video last night. No big deal. A lot of people don't even watch; they just listen to it anyway. But um, it matters to me because I don't like you know losing video. I, I probably did a lot of funny stuff in that last 20 minutes that. Um, i've had a couple people already tell me today that they they missed it they wanted to see that last 20 minutes Um, but it was still good i got uh, another compliment today Um, two of them as a matter of fact another uh, compliment that the sound is is sounding just really good so i guess this pop filter is doing good maybe i'm doing better at uh, editing and and adjusting the noise and audacity and uh, noise reduction and, and cutting some stuff out but It's all coming together, I guess. But now I got the camera. I got the battery fully charged. I don't know how much a full charge lasts. I should read the the manual one day and figure out what all is going on with this thing. I'm still shooting at 1080p, uh, 60 frames per second again. I've adjusted the tripod so the camera is not going to move and slide on there uh, with my, you know, it was sliding. The tripod was kind of on the rug that is underneath the table here, and I guess as I was you know, bouncing my feet or moving my knees back and forth. It was causing the ground to shake a little bit. And uh, the cam that I had adjusted adjusted to see the TV screen fucking moved on me immediately. I hadn't even sat down yet after the after the intro song, and uh, it had moved. It was a little too close anyway. So I've got it further back. I've got the tripod mount better. Uh, i got the camera battery charged. So hopefully no camera issues today. Uh, the intro music I thought was uh, just the first thing I found. I didn't really do an extensive search, but I was trying to think of the song because it's going to kind of go along with uh, what I'm doing tonight. i trying trying to find a song that just uh, talked about how how dumb you are when you're young. And that's kind of what the moral of the story is going to be today. Um, dumb, stupid, young, ignorant, not fully... Uh, Formed frontal cortex yet. I mean, just just making dumb decisions. Young and dumb and stupid. Um, in your 20s, you know. Early 20s. Oh, the song. The song was uh, by a, a guy named Khalid. K-H-A-L-I-D. The song is Young, Dumb, and Broke. Young, Dumb, and Broke. I don't see an album... Listed on here. Featuring Young, Dumb, and Broke. Debut album, American Teen. So that's his debut album, American Teen. The title, Young, Dumb, and Broke. So I figure that kind of goes along with this. What am I doing tonight, you ask? I'm, I'm kind of skirting all around and alluding to what I'm doing. Well... I've thought long and hard about it. I'm not sure if I really want to do it. But the book is public. It's, it's, it's been out there. People can go find it. They can read it. So it's not like I've tried to hide this information. It's been out there uh, since 2007. So it's been out there for 13 years. People have read these stories. I've read them. My parents have read them. My family's read them. My ex-wife has read them. I'm pretty sure my kids read it um, eventually. A bunch of people have read it. It's been bought. It's been sold. So what am I talking about? I self-published a book. If you've been following Craft Conversations from the start, you'll remember the first uh, twenty episodes or so, or so when I was doing it with Caleb, that uh, we do we would do some ads up front, and uh, Caleb would talk about CQ Works and his watercolors and some different things, stickers, whatever that he was doing, paintings, um, house paintings that he started doing for a realty company. I would advertise uh, the Keto Dojo, <clears throat> which is on Facebook. I would advertise It's All Fun and Games and Tell, which is the book that I wrote. What else did I advertise? I don't know. A couple other things that I can't even remember off the top of my head now. So, But I've talked about this book a lot. And the book, I wrote it back in 2007. Well, I actually started writing it um, probably 2005-ish. Started diving into it. And the reason I wrote the book is, uh, you know, my ex-wife, she cheated on me um, a couple times, maybe even more than that. I'm not even positive. Um, I at least got a couple out of her with uh, some interrogation, (laughs) no waterboarding or anything like that. But I finally got the info out that I was looking for Um, 2003, I guess, is when I uh, officially found out that... uh, things were going on with a particular person when we were stationed there in Illinois Uh, with interrogation and and some other things. I figured out that uh, she had done this previously back around 1999. Who knows what happened in between 99 and 2003. I think there may have been some other instances and, um, yeah. So what did I do? Well, I said, you know, her reasoning was, and there is no reason to do it. Um, but her excuse was, her reason was that she had always thought that I had cheated on her. And it depends on your definition of cheating. And I'm not going to skirt around the issue and, and try and define what cheating is. I, I cheated. Um, I cheated on our marriage. I did not actually have intercourse. So if, if your term of cheating is intercourse with somebody else, then no, I did not do that. But if, uh, if you if it's just an emotional cheating... Um, I probably did that a couple times, and um, if if cheating uh, is kissing and maybe some other you know foreplay type stuff, then yeah, I, I did that. And you're going to hear that in this story. And the story I'm reading is out of my book. And I cannot believe I found this. I went online. So anyway, I wrote that book. Let, let me let me step back for a second. So I wrote the book, and the reason I wrote it is my wife had always thought that I had that I, I had slept with uh, this one chick. This one girl, when we were stationed down in Valdosta, Georgia, our first assignment, very young into the Air Force. Uh, we were both uh, 19 years old, uh, got married after knowing each other for less than a month. We immediately uh, bought a house, got a dog, got pregnant, had a kid. I mean, just all the stuff, just overwhelming us at, uh, at the front of this marriage. Skin, no excuses. No excuses. No excuses for either one of us, um, but I wrote the book to because uh, she always says, "Well, I don't know what you did back then, but I know you were doing some shady stuff, and and uh, I think you slept with that one girl that one time, and I don't know. I just you know, I hit thirty and I hit middle age, and or not middle age, but I hit thirty, and um, you know I was. Um, I don't know, we were moving around, we were separated a little bit during my recruiting and her going back to school, and we didn't talk to each other a whole bunch, and I needed, you know, I found somebody that uh, gave me more, uh, had more interest in me and had more conversation with me than what you were doing, and just all the things came up, and she had always thought that I'd done something, so her justification in her head was, well, he did it, I'm going to do it, and again, that's no justification, but uh, that's just what happened, So I told her, I said, you know what? I'm going to write down exactly everything that I did. I'm going to tell you everything that I did the first eight years of our marriage to clear the air and to put it all out there 100%. You know, I wanted to stay together, basically. I found out that she had cheated and I said, look, we're going to make this work. I love you. I want to do this. We got two wonderful kids together. Uh, We have an amazing career. Um, Let's, let's work this thing out. And in order for us to work that out, I think, that I need to get everything off of my chest, and let you know everything that I have done. Put it all out on the table. Let's get communication back into our marriage, and let's uh, be upfront with each other. Put everything behind us and move forward from there. And uh, as I started writing some of these things down, some of these thoughts, and trying to figure out what I was going to tell her and what I needed to confess, it was a confession of sorts. And, you know, I'm not Catholic and she's not either, but um, it was it was a confession of sorts. Is what the book was. Once I started jotting some of these ideas down and some of the memories, I said, you know what? I'm just going to put it all into a fucking book. And at the time, a couple uh, of the self-publishing craze had started going on. This was around 2005, 2006-ish. God, I can't speak. And all the self-publishing stuff was out. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a book. Um, It's kind of a memoir of sorts. Obviously, I'm telling a story of my life, autobiographical, biographical. But I was also going to interject a little bit of uh, fiction in there as well. Of course, like most uh, writers do, they try and uh, you know embellish a few things here and there to make it more interesting and more readable and more exciting for the reader. So there is a little bit of that um, in this story and throughout the entire book. So I wrote a book, basically. I started penning it in 2005. I went to Iraq and got stationed there. Deployment in uh, 2006. I need to plug these in and put these on. And uh, that was really good. That deployment was really good for me. That gave me a chance to actually complete this book. And I probably never would have ever finished it if I hadn't deployed and had all the time in the world, uh, you know, when I wasn't treating mass casualties and uh, patients and, and all these types of things. And trying not to get blown up by uh, mortars and IEDs and whatever. Um, at, when I went home at the end of my shifts and at night or whenever I had a day off and whatever, I, I would jot down in this book. I had a, a little notebook, you know, similar to the the stuff that you see me writing in, just, just, just plain old notebooks. I had a notebook exactly like this. And every night I would sit down in my little twin uh, bed in my little tin can that they called it. And I would sit there with a pen and literally write out these stories. So when I got back from my deployment in Iraq, uh, we were stationed in Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska at the time. And when I got back, I took that little book and I've got it. I still got it downstairs in my bedroom. As a matter of fact, I took that little book and I got in front of the desktop computer and I typed everything down and put it into a book. Uh, a f- friend of my mom's uh, had had published and written a few books, some sci-fi type books and she was a pretty decent editor had some some good background in grammar and all those type things so I kind of sent these stories to her She would send them back with some some notes and some corrections and suggestions and I would uh, make the suggestions send them back to her and it kind of went back and forth took took probably three years to finally finish this thing I think I officially, put out the first version in 2007 and then it's I think version three is what it ended up on um see what this book is here uh copyrighted 2006 um where the hell did I put the version on here third edition yeah so this was the this book copyright here is the third edition the awesome thing is <clears throat> I went into my computer. I went into to one of my uh, external hard drives to begin with. I thought I had my file on there, but I think I've since deleted it or lost it, or it might be on another hard drive. I got like five hard drives around here. But uh, I think all the original copies and edits and everything the Microsoft Word documents and then finally converted it into a PDF to upload to the website. Uh, a site called lulu.com, by the way, is where you can self-publish your works if you are an artist or an author. <clears throat> so I went on there today. I, I came in from the, from the garden, from the backyard, and I said, you know, I need to, I need to pull up this file so I can read this thing. Because I'm going to read your stories, what I'm going to do today. I could not find it to save my life. Even on the website, I couldn't, I couldn't find a copy of my file. And it's always been there in the past when I've looked for it. I could pull up a PDF file and uh, the entire book is right there. That way you can you know, upload a different file. If, you, if you've if you made edits, you can upload a new PDF. And next time they print on demand the book, uh, it's got the, all the all the new information in it. So a long intro, I know, to kind of get to what I'm going to. But so I could not find that file. And I said, fuck, man, I know I've got a copy of this goddamn book somewhere. And I've looked for this book because Caleb always wanted me to show it on the podcast and actually have a hard copy book, you know, maybe something I could put... We could put in the frame to advertise and display it. Like you see on a lot of podcasts, they they have their books in the background or whatever. I've looked for this damn thing at least five times because Caleb wanted a copy of it and I wanted a copy of it. I could not find it to save my life. And I told myself, I said, God damn it. I want to do this Mother's Day thing. And I know this book is in this house somewhere. I know I have a copy of it because I bought a copy for myself. I wanted to have a copy. Even though it's online, I can get it printed at any time. I just wanted to have my own copy to thumb through. And I went down in the box that I thought it was in, that I've looked in at least five times, like I said before. I don't know if you can see on the front of the book how how marked up it is, but this is the actual book, hardcover, softcover. But the outline is a, a memo pad that had... Stuck to the top of this book. So every time I looked through that box, I would see the memo pad that was stuck to the top of it and I would not find the book. Well, I decided tonight I'm, I'm taking everything out of this goddamn box. Everything is coming out of the box. I'm not just going to dig through the box. I'm taking everything out piece by piece and I'm going to find this book. Well, I took that uh, m- uh, memo pad or whatever the hell, uh, day planner, I think it was a day planner, out of there, picked it up. Lo and behold, it's stuck. To the back of the date liner. (laughs) All this time, it's been right here in the house. So this is the book, the infamous It's All Fun and Games Until. And uh, the reason for the name of the book was, you know, it's all fun and games to go out there and be flirting around with other people at the club or going to the strip club or dancing. uh, A little maybe too provocative with uh, somebody else, you know, when you're married. It's all fun and games until you get caught is what the, the premise of the book was. And if you can, uh, you probably can't see it right now. But if you can see, maybe I'll take a picture of it and try and put it into the into the video later. But it's a maze on the front of there. So my thought was, it's all fun and games until and I'm basically navigating the maze of relationships and marriage and just life in general. So, so yeah. So copyrighted two thousand six. It's a novel. It has over five thousand words in it, I think, which makes it a novel. <clears throat> So it's a memoir by Brian E. Dale Sr., which is me, and it's got an additional story by Mr. Ryan Olds, which I will read that additional story because it ties in to the to the uh, actual story that I'm going to read today. So, so there you go. I'm very excited that I found this copy of this book. Super excited, and I've got some uh, you know some comments here on the back. Whatever. I'm I'm super excited, guys. <clears throat> All right. So here's what's happening. And, you know, here's the uh, preface here. To my wonderful wife for allowing me the time and courage to put these stories of my, our life on uh, these pages for the world to read. I cheese sandwich you. And that was just something that we used to say. I don't remember. I think that was a line in a movie somewhere or something. I don't even remember why we started that. But instead of saying uh, we loved each other, we said we cheese sandwich each other. So there you go. What else is in the front here? Uh, One of my best uh, favorite quotes. If you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. And then the second quote that I put up front here was, the best proof of love is trust. And that was by Dr. Joyce Brothers. Um, And that's true. I mean, you have to have trust in a marriage. And probably for at least the first At least the first 11 or 12 years of our marriage, we had zero trust. I don't You know, we just didn't. We just didn't have trust. Um, She had been cheated on by every boyfriend she had ever had. And uh, she thought that I had cheated on her, which, you know, definition, her definition at the time was sleeping with somebody. She thought that I had done that. Um, And then, you know, I didn't trust her. So, yeah, you have to trust each other um, to sustain a, a marriage. Um, here's the acknowledgements and then we'll get into, we'll get into the story. I'll read the story and I'll kind of interject a little bit and kind of give you some side, sidebar. But here's the acknowledgement, acknowledgements that I put up here to my wonderful kids for behaving and tolerating me spending many nights in front of the computer or with my pen and pad in hand, making them fix their own dinner. Uh, Tish Hand for making these stories breathe and making me a better writer. I think to my boy, Ryan Olds for contributing a great story when others would not, and writing one of the most sincere stories in the book. My good friend Jeff uh, for taking the time out of his busy day to read and edit these stories of my life. You make my toes curl. Uh, it's an inside joke. All the guys of 265 Bluepool Drive uh, for starring in and making these many stories of my life somewhat interesting if not to the rest of the world at least to me. And of course my mom and dad for loving me all these years and bringing me up to believe that marriage is a promise you keep for better or for worse. Um, again, at the time, <laughs> writing this book, the plan was that we were we were going to stay together. That was the whole plan. Um, and we did. We stayed together another uh, almost eight years after this book was written. <clears throat> but um, I don't know. Just couldn't take it anymore. Just the trust. The trust was not there. So. I'm going to open a beer. I'm drinking one of the same beers I drank last night. This is that Kona Light, uh, four grams of carbs. I already had one, so this is going to be eight grams of carbs for the day. And we're going to get into the story. Now, this story is not for the faint of heart. This story is real. It is raw. It is exactly the way I remember it happening. Like I said, maybe a, a little bit of an embellishment here or there. I'll share another pour with you. Maybe some an embellishment just for excitement. But pretty much this story is, uh, you know, 90% true. And then I'm going to read a story that Ryan Olds wrote afterwards because he's part of the story. The story, <clears throat> let's just get to it. God damn it. I'm 25 minutes in already. I haven't even started the goddamn story. The story um, contents is actually nine chapters. There's a prologue, and then there's nine chapters, and then there's an epilogue at at, at the end of it. So the plan was to write this book, and my plan was to write two more books. So this was going to be a confession of the stuff that I had done in our first eight years of marriage. My second book, with the permission of uh, my ex-wife, was going to be to write about what my ex-wife did that was shitty to me. Uh, You know, of course, cheating on me a couple times and whatever other... Uh, things that she had done uh, through the course of the marriage. The second book was going to be the second part. So I did this to her. Now here's the revenge. She did this to me. The third book was going to be how we reconcile everything. I did my stuff. She did her stuff. We're better for it. We survived. We, We made the marriage work. We lived forever after, you know, for 70 years, married, whatever. That was going to be the third book. It all ended in, you know, a fairy tale happy ending. Uh, well, now the third book would be kind of the end, the dissolving of our marriage. And then there was going to be, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to still write those three books, this being the first. And then I was going to write a fourth book of the series where it, uh, just all crashed and burned and, uh, kind of, uh, take it to where I am now. But so there's still only just one book, but that was the plan <laughs> anyway. But then the marriage ended and I said, you know, what? I'm not writing any more books, so. This story is on page 77. I have not read this story in a very, very, very long time. This is really the whole reason that this book was written, this story right here. It's called, um, it's called The Mother's Day Present. I'll just uh, show you that one page and that's all I'm gonna do, showing you stuff. It's called The Mother's Day Present. And that's why I figured, this is going to be a good story for Mother's Day, to put out on Mother's Day. <laughs> it's not really a great story for Mother's Day, but <clears throat> we're going to read it anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> This is going to be exciting, guys. Oh, I'm so excited. I told a couple people today that I was doing this, and they're like, do it, do it, do it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do it. But then I'm thinking to myself, it's already out there. Like I said, people have already bought this. My whole family's already read it. And they're like, wow. As a matter of fact, let me read you what my dad wrote. He's the, first, uh, he's the first quote on the back of my book. Very hard-hitting story of young people growing to maturity. A factual account of pitfalls along the road of life. Consequences endured and lessons learned. Brian has his own personal style and it shows on each page. That was by my dad. So. <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot believe I found this book. All right, here we go, guys. Settle in. We're getting ready to <clears throat> get down and dirty here. You ready? The Mother's Day present. And ap- apologize. Some of the writing is not the greatest in here. I've you know in the past when I've read through it, I'm like, ah, I could have edited that a little bit more. I could have said that better. I could have paragraphed uh, differently, whatever. But so the Mother's Day present. Some holidays are very easy to forget when you're married. You know, I mean seriously. With all the holidays and special occasions and meetings and appointments, who can blame a guy? You got Christmas, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, tons of birthdays, anniversaries, family's birthdays, family's anniversaries, your in-law's stuff. Come on, who can remember that shit? Not me. I need a string on my finger telling me to jot down something on a sticky to remind me to write a note to make an entry in my planner to remind me to put an appointment in my Microsoft Outlook to keep up with all this crap. But for some odd reason, I'll never need another reminder for or ever forget Mother's Day again. And neither will my wife. It was 1995 and my wife, Brandy, and I had been married for around four years. Sure, we had our share of problems and glitches just like any other couple. Our financial problems were beginning to bud with the further stress of Brandy being pregnant with our second child while Junior uh, was barely out of his terrible twos. Our jobs were getting more and more demanding and kept us busy most days. We weren't taking, we weren't talking to each other much at night. I should have read this ahead of time and uh, I would read it a little clearer if I had remembered how it flowed. But uh, mind you, Brandy had been pregnant virtually our entire marriage up to this point and things were not getting any easier. Things were really beginning to peak on the old stress meter, let me tell you. Most people have given up now, but not us, at least not yet anyway. 265 is becoming a never-ending party uh, with Papa Sump, Byron, at the wheel. And uh, let me just let you know what 265 means. So a little sidebar. I'm sorry. I'm going to interject a couple times here. But it's a little sidebar. 265 was the address of my buddy uh, Byron's house, and that's not his real name. He lived down the street from us. We lived on 224 Blue Pool Drive, and he lived at 265 Blue Pool Drive. So his house was right down the road. And 265 was a place where everything happened, man. That was where the guys got together and, and girls, everybody that were amarin there at uh, in the Air Force at Moody Air Force Base uh, that worked in the hospital together. We were all hospital guys. Uh, Bry- uh, Byron was a dental lab technician. He made you know dentures and teeth and all that kind of stuff. And so 265. So originally, here's the backstory on this on this the original book. Brian always said, he, man, we should write a book. We should write a book about all the stuff that happens at 265. And I said, well, we should write a book. So I submitted a story to him for the book. And I said, here's your first story. Let's get this story in there. And then everybody else that uh, had inhabited that house at one point or another contributed a story. And we can build a whole book of stories of mishaps that uh, and, and fun shit that we did down at Moody Air Force Base. Well, I was the only person that ever submitted a goddamn story. And I said, you know what? If you're not going to write a book, I'm going to write a book. And I wrote a book, starting it off, when I first started penning this thing, I started writing it, uh, stories about 265. And then the whole cheating thing happened, and it turned into another type of book. But it's still uh, still a book about 265 interjected with problems in my marriage. Does that make sense? So that's what 265 is. Uh, 265 was becoming a never-ending party with Papa Sump. Byron, at the wheel, it seemed there was a gathering every night and new patrons, whom we didn't even know, were making nightly appearances. Byron's own marriage with Sam was suffering and leaning ever closer to a divorce because of what the house was becoming. 265 seemed to be on its last leg in its own right. The late nights, the parties, and the drunken stupors were starting to take their toll on everyone. Things were coming apart at the seams slowly but surely as we were all going out four to five times a week and partying pretty hard. But I deserved it, damn it. We were young. So that, uh, so what the half of us were married? We needed our friends as well as the women to hang out with proudly on our arm. What the hell, what the hell does a man have if he doesn't have his buddies, huh? Tell me that. I myself had recently gotten a little more involved. with the uh, the frequent nights out and really began liking the freedom and companionship. I owned the nightlife since back in my high school years, and I loved it. For some reason, maybe because Sam was putting a damper on outings at 265, things started taking place over at Carter and Monica's house. The nights at Sump's were becoming few and far between, so we needed another place to continue our wild antics. I'd never really been over to their house up to this point, but was spending some quality time there getting to know more people. This would prove to be a turning point in my life, sadly, a turning point for the worst that would ultimately haunt me for the rest of my days. Carter and Monica's house was a lot quieter than that of 265, but we still ended up having the same good time when we were there together. Hell, it didn't matter where we were. We were going to have a party. The nights they were calm and kind of laid back compared to the throwdowns we'd have on Bluepool Drive at Carter's house. We'd all just sit around or stand around, basically chilling, maybe drinking a few brews, listening to some soft tunes, and get, getting geared up for whatever the night, for wherever the night would take us. Carter and Monica seemed to be considerably more observant and anal about cleanliness than was the case at Byron's place. There wasn't a crumb of dust on any piece of furniture, nor a smudge of a fingerprint on any of the glass. If you took a piss in the toilet, you better make sure to take a piece of tissue paper or Kleenex from the box on the back of the sink and wipe any splatter that may occur on the seat or you might not be invited back. This was okay with me uh, since I took a lot of pride in my own home. Shit, uh, Brandy and I were just uh, just hanging on to our own place by the skin of our teeth because of the financial problems we've been having, splatter or no splatter. Uh, Leia's over here snoring. She is not interested whatsoever. Chandler was recently married to a girl named Deanne uh, who quickly befriended Brandy and me. Um, Chandler, by the way, is Ryan. I'll go ahead and let you know that name because he is in the next story. Chandler was recently married to a girl named Deanna who quickly befriended Brandy and me, thus hanging around with us much of the time. I knew Deanna was trouble from the beginning, uh, from the first time that I laid eyes on her. Most everything Most everyone else thought the same thing, but Chandler was in love, damn it. Nothing was going to keep him from this girl. It would just usually be Carter, Monica, Seth, Chandler, and Deanne hanging at the Carter's house. Oh yeah, I might as well mention at this point, there was also a friend of Carter and Monica's named Renee there, whom I was beginning to notice, and she was starting to notice me too. Uh, Renee was about five foot six inches tall with shoulder length brown hair, Brown eyes, braces, and she was just a little bit on the fluffier side, some might say. Not fat, just big boned. Carter <laughs> and Monica's is where we first met. At first, Renee and I were just uh, the odd men out, so to speak. We'd take, uh, goddamn, <clears throat> uh, we'd talk and keep each other company, which was harmless to say the least, but dangerous nonetheless. The encounters became more frequent, and we started seeing more and more of each other. But the funny thing was, we never really got to know each other all that well. We'd talk, but for the life of me, I couldn't tell you what the hell our conversations were about. We just went through the motions of breaking the silence when we were together, plain and simple. But one thing was for sure, she was always flirting with me. No matter how subtle it was, the flirting was definitely happening on a nightly basis. Nothing serious, but there was always a bright smile, a complimentary comment, a brush across my hand, or just a look... But I knew, somehow, she was into me. All the things I wasn't getting at home often enough, I began noticing oozing out of this girl that I didn't even know, much less have anything in common with. Like I said, I couldn't begin to tell you what we even talked about. Regardless, uh, she seemed like a fun girl to me, but I was married, and that was as far as it, sh- as as it should have gone. <clears throat> Many nights, we'd all end up at this club called the New Knights, uh, later to be named Club 2000, and do a lot of standing around and drinking. Occasionally, all of us would get on the dance floor together, you know, not really having a partner, but just all in a large group grooving a little bit uh, to the tunes. Everyone would eventually end up at the New Knights, so the whole crew was always there to greet us. Valdosta, if you remember, was a very small town, so there weren't Many other viable choices. The staff there got to know us very well, especially Byron, and we were always treated like high society. They really catered to our every need. So, you know, kind of liken it to, you know, if you hear locally in town, I guess going to the Ice House or some bullshit like that. Not really, though. So, This was more of a dance club. So maybe the Honky Tonk Saloon. I don't know. I don't even know what to compare it to here locally, but it was just a local club. Had great music. Everybody just went there and danced and and got shit-faced, but a couple of nights I remember being out on the dance floor with the group, kind of dancing awkwardly by myself, which I usually did. Brandy didn't care to go out with us, uh, or with me, since she liked to tend to things at home. She was pregnant and preferred not to be around alcohol since she couldn't drink. While dancing on these two nights, Renee was also alone and decided to keep me company. Now it was becoming clear to me, by the way she was moving and pulling me close, that maybe she had some other things in mind that I had not counted on. Like I had said, she was fun, but I was married. I indulged her and I guess instigated things to the next level. Before I knew it, she was kissing me. This was the first girl I kissed since being married, and I've got to tell you, it was a little weird, but it was also a little exciting. Things never really went much further than that, to tell you the truth. I never really thought much uh, about things other than the fact that we were friends of friends and kept each other company while out with the crowd. We would dance, but everyone was dancing. It wasn't like the kiss meant anything. I figured it was just something she thought she should do. You know, kind of just being nice since I looked so pathetic and lonely. Nothing clued me in uh, to what was really going on through her mind, what was really going through her mind, until she showed up at my doorstep one brisk spring evening. Oh, no. Man, so here we go, guys. It was a Saturday night, the Saturday before Mother's Day. Brandy had gone out of town for the weekend to see her mother and left me at home with our child. First child, Brian Jr. I was sitting around watching TV, as I usually did, and by now, Jr. had been asleep for a few hours in his crib. The crew had all gone out, and they'd invited me to come, but I had to decline due to my situation. (laughs) The situation. My kid's situation. Uh, Chandler called, which is Ryan. Ryan. Hey, man, Dan and I got uh, Renee with us, and she is asking about you. She says she has no one to hang out with, and she wants to know what you're doing. You want to talk to her? Dude, I'm sorry, man. I can't come out tonight, uh, but tell her maybe another night. I really didn't want to go out. I mean, I couldn't, I could have found someone to come over and watch the kid, but I was con- content just sitting around watching the table or watching the tube. God, I'm sucking at reading this thing, guys. It should have ended right there, but of course, they were all out drinking, and you know what goes what that And you know how that goes. Inhibitions are lifted, and people inevitably, inevitably end up making decisions they wouldn't normally make, Or maybe they just get up the courage to make the decisions they really want to make in the first place. In either case, a decision was being made, and I wasn't even being asked my opinion. A few hours had passed and I was on the fourth or fifth beer myself when the phone rang again. Hey, it's Chandler again. Renee is in the car with us and really wants to talk to you. Hey, Brian, this is Renee. You need to come out and play. Why the hell do you want to sit at home doing nothing when you could be out with us? Of course, I still had to reject her advances. You are crazy. I'm home alone with my son, and I really can't go anywhere. You guys have a good time, and I will catch up with you guys another time. Next thing I know, she is bringing up the idea of coming over to my house. Well, since you were stuck at home, maybe I should just come over and keep you company. I laughed. You are crazy. That is not a good idea at all. You three will have a good night without me, I'm sure. What are you doing right now, she asked. I took another swig of my beer, which I'm going to do right now. I'm just sitting around drinking some beer and watching some TV. I will see you some other time. I promise. I really thought that would be the end of it, uh, of any of all contact for the evening. A few minutes had passed, or maybe an hour. I hear a knock on my door. I went to the door shirtless, shorts on, and a cold beer in my hand. When I opened the door, all I saw were Renee's braces smiling at me with a beer in her hand. Can I come in? Uh, I should have said no, right? I immediately countered while staring her in her drunken eyes. I don't think that is a good idea. You should probably go. What's the big deal? I just want to hang out a little, a little while, and then I will go. I promise. She smiled her shiny smile and flipped her hair back over her ears. We both knew she wouldn't leave. Look, my kid is asleep in the next room, and I'm going to hit the sack pretty soon. Maybe another time we could get together. I insisted. She smiled, looked back at the car where Chandler and Deanne were seated, smiling up at us, and then they drove away. What was I to do now but invite her in and wait for her ride to return? Would her ride ever return? Would I be able to kick her out? Would my kid wake up and wonder who this woman was? Would Brandy call and want to chit-chat a little while? It was pretty late already, and I was really starting to doubt that anyone would ever return to pick up this woman that was now sitting on my couch in my wife's vacant house. She told me to have a seat, and I took my usual corner spot on the sofa a square away from her. For the life of me, I cannot remember what was playing on the television, not that it mattered anyway, but I think my night alone, watching a good movie and falling asleep with a good buzz, was now out of the question. Renee slid over closer to me, and with her beer in her left hand, put her right hand on my leg. I tensed up. What the hell are you doing? I asked jokingly. Or, what the hell are you doing? I asked jokingly. Should have been better, right? She kissed me on the neck and moved her hand further up my now tightening thigh. I pulled back a little. You know, you really shouldn't be here. You need to call your buddies to come get you before you do something. Before we do something very stupid that we will both surely regret in the morning. <sighs> she sighed, batted her big brown eye, batted her big uh, brown eyes, eyelashes. Maybe I should have said. I already told them to pick me up in the morning. Don't make me leave. Her lower lip poked out a little. She assumed. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to ask her to leave once she was in my house, and she happened to be right. I settled down a bit and realized she was in my home for the night, and I might as well accept it. She leaned in to kiss me. Nervously, I pulled back once again. She caught my cheek. Renee, I haven't been with any other other woman besides my wife since I've been married. I don't even think I could do anything if I really wanted to. I'd already beaten myself in my mind before we even get started. She moaned a low growl, "Mm, I can get you to change your mind and get you in the mood. She slid into my lap before I knew what was happening. Next thing I know, her tongue was wiggling down my throat like a leech and she was throwing her hands around my neck. She grabbed the back of my head, pulled me in close and kissed me with a deep, wet kiss that was amazing. I tried to let myself go and give in to her to enjoy it, but I couldn't stop thinking about my wife, Brandy, and my son sleeping in the other room. I will let you know right now that nothing was going on down below. I didn't know what was happening, but I had no reaction. The little guy was either sleeping or drunk. Some people reading this that haven't ever experienced this phenomenon will doubt, will doubt me. I'm sure, but I can assure you there was no movement. I regretfully let her know this. What, uh, I regretfully let her know this before she could find out for herself. <laughs> Being a little disappointed in myself and my performance, I suggested, "Baby, you might as well go home." You might as well go ahead and call your ride. She smiled her devilish grin and said, Oh no, we're going to do this, and I will take care of your problem, baby. Next thing I know, my shorts are completely off, and Renee is standing in front of me, disrobing. She kneeled down in front of me uh, and took my limp member in her hand and started to try and get a little life out of my manhood. I closed my eyes, leaned my head back, and really tried to focus because I'm not going to lie. I wanted this to happen. With eyes closed, focusing and cussing at my body, I had a total block going on. Nothing was happening. I know, guys, you're all probably shaking your head right now. Uh, She opened her brace-filled mouth and put my little guy between her lips and began trying to resuscitate me. At first, it was a little scrap, a little scrape from the sharp metal. With a little correction in her technique, she was gliding smoothly with her lips pulling my meat up and down. I couldn't believe it. I got nothing. And I was really excited on the inside, but it, without a shadow of a doubt, was not showing on the outside. She tried every little trick she had up her drunken, lustful sleeve to no avail. It seemed nothing was going to work. As I think back on it, I don't think I had a raging case of whiskey dick. However, I believe my skeet shooter was not rising to the occasion out of fear and guilt. And that's funny, because I think that line, um, I believe my skeet shooter... <laughs> Uh, the whiskey dick and the skeet shooter line came from the, my buddy Jeff that I mentioned in the, uh, in the opening acknowledgments there. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that line. Um, <laughs> being the nice guy that I am and a little embarrassed, I decided, what the hell, why not give her a little pleasure and make this worthwhile for at least one of us? I picked her up off of my lap and laid her down a long, uh, long ways across the couch. She was completely naked in front of me, and I lowered myself between her legs and started touching and playing with her now- moist and most intimate of spots. She was moving and moaning like a wild stallion, and I just knew I'd get some reaction from the other member of this party at the sight, sound, and smell of things, but nothing happened. What was wrong with me? Was I really here? Was this really happening to me? Was I even human? I sat up frustrated and again had to apologize. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. I just can't stop thinking about my wife. I had a block or lock that I Apparently didn't have the combination to. After a good 30 or 45 minutes of really trying. Oh, I'm sorry. After a good 30 to 45 minutes of really hard, no pun intended, trying, I finally told her it was no use. She looked a little pissed, but also a little let down that she didn't have the power to get a man to rise from the dead. It must have been a real blow, no pun intended again, to her ego. I mean, this is what women are born to do. Not really. They loved, uh, they loved the power of being able to get a man hard and to get a man off. But it didn't seem she had the power stronger. But it didn't seem like she had a power stronger than that. Than that. of uh, The one of my... Man, what is wrong with this sentence? But it didn't seem she had a power stronger than the one my wife had over me. Okay, that should be van instead of that. So... We sat there in awkward silence for a moment. Uh, She said, do you at least have a shirt I can put on? She asked. Sure, I do. And I went to my bedroom to retrieve one. I was fumbling through my dresser drawers, depressed and cussing myself when I felt her hands wrap around my waist. I was still naked and still limp. But at that very moment, I felt a little spark, a little jump. She smiled and started to back us up toward my bed. And I hesitated. I do not feel comfortable being in in my wife's bed. Why don't we go into the guest bedroom? I just knew from what had just happened down below that I could control my body. We would both find out soon. We would both soon find out. Either way. We walked hand in hand to the guest room, me in my birthday suit and her in a long white t-shirt looking sexy as hell. Before entering the room, I wanted to check on Junior to make sure he was doing okay. And more importantly, that he was still sound asleep. I was looking over the side of the crib when Renee popped over the shoulder and giggled, how cute. My wife would not, have been, would not have approved. This night was not getting any better. A bigger lump was now gathering in my throat than in between my legs. I grabbed her, left the room, closed the door behind us, and ventured across the hall, past the guest bathroom, guest bathroom to the room where I'd had my first affair. I mean, already, right? Already I've cheated. Do you agree? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm licking her pussy. I think I cheated. I probably cheated at the kiss. <clears throat> but anyway, anyway. Uh, we fell onto the, so, uh, to the soft queen-size bed together and started making out. Again, I felt like I'd be able to rise to the occasion and was more focused than I'd been before. Renee reached down below and I could tell she was happy. Maybe by the smile on her face, that she felt a semi-hard member, semi-hard member for the first time that night, she climbed on top of me. To, she climbed on top of me to take advantage of the moment, and with my half-hard dick in her hand, started to sit back on my trembling thighs. Within seconds of pressing up against her wetness, I was again too limp to enter her. She immediately spun around, put her lips back on me, and shoved, my, shoved her ass in my face. At this point, I was convinced I wasn't going to be able to be the man she wanted me to be. Give it up, Renee, I said in a very sad and again embarrassed tone. I couldn't do what she and I both wanted, and it was killing the hell out of me. A real disappointment to say the least, but it was useless. Renee looked up. She looked spent and maybe even a little mad. I understand. Let's just go to sleep, she whispered. I pulled the covers down, lay back We pulled the covers down, lay back together, and with a sigh, went to sleep without having been able to enjoy each other. The worst night of my life was finally over. Morning came sooner than both of us wanted it to. We were both looking at each other with sober eyes and wondering what the hell we must have been thinking the night before. We were both still quite shocked and said virtually nothing to each other. She found the phone by the couch where we'd been only hours before and called Chandler and Deanna to come pick her up. I myself was thinking it was Mother's Day, and I was standing here with another woman in my living room, uh, wearing nothing but one of my t-shirts. How to, head, how to hell did I let this happen? What was I to do now? Within the hour, Renee's ride from the night before had arrived to retrieve her. Without a word, and, her, and with uh, the clothes she wore over there, now back on, she was gone. My mind was flooding with thoughts. What, I, what had I done? What do I do now? Who do I tell? do I tell? When will Brandy be home? One thing I did know and a question I had an answer to was I needed to make sure there was no evidence to be found. I vacuumed the couch. I removed the sheets, started the washer, lit candles, emptied the trash. No one except the accomplices would ever know another woman had been in my house that Saturday night. All the evidence had been hidden and there was, and there were no witnesses. The house was sterile. I finally took a break, called my wife to see where Uh, see when she would be home, and in my nervous state, forgot to even mention Mother's Day. The next week was the week from hell. Brandy was home. We were back in our mundane, normal routines, and I was dealing with the issue of keeping the grave secret of selling my soul. My mind was spinning out of control. I felt like my life was over. How could I have been so stupid? Everything within me wanted to spill the beans on what I had done or not done, but I knew The unwritten rule was to never tell. My plan was simple. Nothing happened. I'd stayed faithful, and I'd be taking this unfortunate information to my grave. The decision had been made. I was in charge. At least that is what I allowed myself to believe. It was a couple days later, and I was coming back from the base exchange after getting some lunch. Next thing I know, I see Chandler for the first time since that night and decided I better get my story straight with him. And then I could put this whole Horrible laughs of sanity behind me. I flagged Chandler down in his car, opened the passenger door, and had a seat. Chandler seemed very nervous and was having trouble looking me in the eyes. Chandler worked with my wife, and we didn't know each other very well, and I had to make sure he was going to forget everything he knew about that night and not say anything to my wife. First things first, I said. What the hell did you bring her over to my fucking house for? Scared, he replied. I have no idea, man. I didn't want to, but it just happened. I wish I had, I wish I wouldn't have. I wish I could go back to that night and do it all over again. His next words made my heart stop and my blood boil. I think I'm going to tell Brandy what happened. I have to tell her. Now with clenched teeth and fist, I asked, Are you fucking kidding me? If you tell my wife, it's fucking over. My life is fucking over. She will divorce me and take my damn kids. Chandler was not backing down. Brandy's a good friend and I work with her. I've been thinking very hard about this, and I have to tell her. I have to let her know, he said grudgingly. Chandler was supposed to be my buddy, my pal, a 265-er, one of the crew, but he was about to ruin my life. Of course, I ruined my life. I pleaded with him with all of my heart that if he valued our friendship, he needed to keep his mouth shut. He wasn't changing his tune or changing his mind, and still without being able to look me in the eye, nervously stated, I've made it my mind, Brian, I have to tell her. I was about to get fucked after all, but not but by the wrong person. I was furious. I got out of his car, slammed the door, and yelled at the top of my lungs, Thanks for ruining my fucking life! Uh, this part of the story is called The Fury. <clears throat> that Friday, I picked up the kids from daycare, drove home, and got dinner started as usual. Brandy was still working uh, the 6 a.m. shift to 6 p.m. shift and would be home close to 7 I was making some of my special chili with sirloin and deer meat. It was one of Brandy's favorites, and I guess I was trying to keep things normal, trying to take my mind off of what I'd done. The deer meat gave it that certain special flavor, but due to the gaminess of the meat, I would add sirloin to tame it down a bit. I was beginning to worry about Brandy as I watched Junior run around with a blanket on his head, pretending to be a superhero. I heard the car pull up around 8.35 p.m. I was wondering what had taken her so long and I turned off the pot of excellence and went to the door to greet my wife. The doorknob turned and there, was, and there she was, her swollen eyes wet with tears, obviously upset over something. She moved past me as my lips puckered to give her a kiss as a, to give her the usual hello kiss. She continued through the living room, gave junior a hug, traipsed through the kitchen and went into the bedroom. She closed the door behind her. My, minds, my mind started racing. What the hell was that all about? What the hell does she know? Did she know anything? Had something happen at work? Did someone die? I was somewhat clueless, but also nervous that the cat was out of the bag and she was about to scratch me. Take another drink. Man, long story. I went to the bedroom, turned the knob. It did not turn. Brandy, what is going on? I questioned. No answer. Brandy, will you open the door, honey? Let me in. I heard the lock turn. I again turned the knob and swung the door open. Brandy was seated on the, on the edge of the bed. Sweetness, what's the matter? With tears now beginning to flood her eyes and roll down her cheeks, she mustered, How could you? How could I what? What are you talking about? My heart sank into my stomach. I knew exactly what she was talking about, but I played stupid. You have to be a little more specific because I am lost over here. How could you be with that bitch in our house? With our son here, none, no less. She picked up the TV remote off the bed and hurled it at my head. It whizzed past my ear and hit the wall. Batteries flew out and hit the floor as it made a hole in the drywall. Brandy, let me explain, I pleaded. She looked around for something else to throw as her face turned beet red. There is nothing to explain, you bastard. We are through. Wait a minute. You have no idea what happened that night. Oh, so you admit it. Don't you worry. Chandler and Kenneth just finished filling me in on everything. They had no earthly idea what happened. They weren't even here. They told me you had sex with that little whore Saturday night. That is all I need to know. She stood up, taking her blouse off. I grabbed her by the arms. Baby, let me explain. She pushed me off and swung a wild slap at my face, just brushing across my nose. <clears throat> There's nothing to explain. Just pack your shit and get out. She yelled. We are through. Now I was getting angry. She wouldn't even let me tell her what had happened. If she would just let me explain... She would know that nothing happened because I was in love with her. Honey, look, nothing happened, okay? I couldn't even get it up. We did not uh, we did not sleep together. We did sleep together, but I, I meant we did not, uh, you know, fuck, whatever. Well, that is not the story I heard. Chandler said that Deanna told him you did. So what do you have to say about that? Uh, Deanna is lying, bitch. That's what. Are you going to believe them over me? I don't know what to believe. I just want you to leave now. All right. All right. I will fucking leave. But you were wrong. They are wrong. I went to the closet, opened up a suitcase, and began throwing some stuff together. That damn Chandler had just ruined my marriage and my life. Where will I go? I cried. I don't give a fuck, she said. Just get out. Uh, just go stay with that little slut. I'm sure she will take you, and you two could be very happy together. Uh, you are being unreasonable, I yelled. Maybe you will be willing uh, to talk when you calm down. I doubt it, Brian. Are you almost fucking done? Are you almost gone? Don't worry. I'm going. I left the bathroom, or bedroom, with my backpack, stormed through the kitchen, past Junior on the way out, and out the front door. I got into my truck and started it up. Brandon came running out and yelled for the whole fucking neighborhood to hear, I fucking hate you, as I pulled away and sped down the street. Holy shit. My life was ruined. I was on my way to Charleston to my brother's, to my brother Bruce's house. He'd know what to do. He was recently divorced, so maybe uh, not the best source for info or relief, but I surely wasn't going to my parents' house. Uh, I traveled down the interstate 95. As the early morning hours passed, I was mentally exhausted from trying to think my way out of this mess. I pulled into the last rest area before my exit to take a quick nap and regroup around 4 a.m. I pulled into a parking space, laid the seat back, and sat there Staring at the roof of my truck for about an hour, I realized I wasn't going to be able to sleep, and I started the truck, deciding to finish my journey. Close to 7 a.m., I pulled into my brother's driveway. It was a Saturday morning, so Bruce was home and already out in the garage, getting ready to do some yard work, of course. He was surprised to see me. What the hell are you doing here? Uh, Randy kicked me out. What the hell for? What did you do this time? (laughs) Bruce knew we continually had minor problems. He had no clue the severity of the current situation. Well, uh, Brandy thinks I cheated on her. Uh, Well, did you? No, not exactly. I did have a girl stay over uh, while she was away at her parents for Mother's Day last weekend, but I did not fuck her. Come on, this is your bro you're talking to. You had a girl sleep over, but you didn't sleep with her. I am not stupid. I swear I didn't, I insisted. So it went for the next few hours. Um, Even my own flesh and blood didn't believe me. How was I going to get my wife to? He finally told me what I didn't want to hear. You need to talk to mom and dad. So uh, with my trusted brother's advice, I went to my mom and dad's later that afternoon. They were surprised to see me as well. But it wasn't all that unusual for me to show up unannounced. So no big deal. My dad and I were out in the front yard smoking a cigarette and I sat down on the edge of the flower bed. I told him I had something to to tell I had I had to tell him something, and yes, I did smoke at that time. My mom was in the house watching T V and doing laundry, so we were alone. He knew it was something big since I drove all that way. What is it, son? I began to tell him the whole story, as I did Bruce, with tears in my eyes, rolling down my face. I felt like such a jerk. Uh, ah, you need to get back in your char and your car, go home and tell Brandy what you just told me. She will understand, but I will tell you something. You have really messed up big this time, son. At least he believed in me. At least he believed me and believed in me. You are right, Dad. You are always right. I need to get back home. Thanks, Pop. We hugged and he squeezed me hard while patting me on the back with his hand. I went in and told my mom I couldn't stay and that I was going. No need for her to know and have her worry. I asked my my dad not to say a word. I would tell her when I was good and ready. I was on my way back to face my fate before the day was over, before the day was even over. The ride back was hell, trying to think of the right words to fix all this mess I had made. If I could dig myself out of this deep abyss I was in, I would be faithful forever. This I promised myself. I pulled into my drive a little past midnight. I unlocked the door, went, into the quietly, went in and quietly closed it behind me. I searched all the rooms for brandy and finally found her asleep on the floor in Junior's room next to his crib. She obviously didn't want to be in any of our beds, not knowing where Renee and I might have been the week before. I wakened her and told her we needed to talk. She had calmed down by then and she slowly got to her feet, tiptoed out of the room so as not to wake Junior. I went in front of her into the kitchen getting the beer out of the fridge. A beer would help me think. Brandy went and sat on the couch. Cracking open my brew, I came in, took my all-too-familiar spot in my favorite corner of the couch. Deja vu rushed over me. Brandy, just sit there and listen, please. I want you to know what happened from me. There are always two sides to every story, and you have the wrong story. I hope you believe mine. I'm listening. I told her exactly what happened, and she cried more tears than I'd ever seen her cry. Uh, We hugged for a long time. We sat on opposite roofs. Sides of the room for a long time. We sat in separate rooms for a long time. Then we hugged again. She said, if that is what you say happened, then I believe you. I just wanted to know why. I wondered what she, must be, uh, what she must be thinking about. How she might have failed me. How she thought she was not affectionate enough. I imagined her thinking she was not sexy enough. Maybe she thought it was because she was pregnant our entire marriage. She wanted to know what drove me to insanity that Saturday night. I loved her, damn it, and I also wondered what I must have been thinking. Sure, she'd been pregnant our entire marriage thus far, but was that her fault? Sure, she was letting her figure go right now, but that was both of our faults. Why would I have put our life why would I have put our life together at risk for the nothing in my pants? She sniffled and forced a half smile. I just want to go ahead and put all this behind us, Brian. Promise me with your biggest promise that nothing like this will ever happen again. Swear to it, and then let's go to bed. I don't know if I will ever forget, but I was brought up to forgive. I promise, baby. We fell asleep in each other's arms that night, knowing things would be better. So that was the Mother's Day present. And, um, you know, I told her I would never, ever forget Mother's Day again. And from that point on, I made sure her mother's days were the best mother's days a mother could possibly have. Obviously, she still didn't believe me. When I confronted her about her infidelity, Uh, she cited the fact that she knows I slept with that girl. Well, I did not. I stand by that because it's the truth. That night in Georgia, the rest of the story. This is by Ryan. It's been almost 10 years since that night in Georgia. Many things have changed. Friendships were lost over the events of that night. But even more importantly, I learned the true meaning of long. I learned the true meaning of lifetime life. God damn it. I learned the true meaning of lifelong friendship. In the days that followed, I was tormented by my inner thoughts of morality and also by a person that I thought loved me. This probably all makes no sense right now, but in the following pages, it will all become clear. My first memory of that night is driving down Bluefield Drive in Valdosta, Georgia. It was a typical Saturday night, drinking, hanging out with friends, and heading home to try to get some sleep. I can't tell you where we were coming from, not because it's a secret, because I can't remember. The following horrible days completely erased most of the memories from that day. Anyway, I was driving down the road with my wife, Deanne, and a friend of ours named Renee. Dean and I had been married maybe for two months and had known each other for no more than seven. Getting married to her wasn't the smartest thing I'd done, but it didn't compare with the choices I'd soon make. Dean and I were on our way to drop Renee off at 265, where she was going to stay the night. It just so happened that another friend of ours uh, lived on the same street. Brandy and Brian lived about 10 or 15 houses down the street from 265. Brandy worked in the pharmacy with me at Moody Air Force Base about 15 miles up the road. As we were driving down the street, we noticed that the lights were on. Uh, We also knew that Brandy was out of town for the weekend, and Brian was home by himself. Renee asked me to pull over so that she could get out and tell Brian something. So, not thinking about it, I pulled into the driveway. Deanne got out of the front seat so that Renee uh, could get out of the car. Renee walked up to the front door. Deanne and I sat back in the front seat while we waited. I left the car running, thinking that we'd only be there for a minute or two. I'd been drinking, so I wanted to get home to my and Deanne's apartment to get some sleep. Time seemed to drag by slowly as Deanne and I sat in the car waiting for Renee to get back. We were watching her stand at the front door talking to Brian. He was standing inside of his house and she was outside where they talked. while they talked. After about five minutes, I was growing impatient. Deanne honked the horn and I told Renee to hurry up. After a couple more minutes, uh, Deanne got out of the car, went to talk to them and tell her to hurry up. Another few minutes went by. Deanne came back and said, that we're going to leave her and come back and pick up Renee in about 10 minutes. I didn't think much of it, but I didn't but I did know that I need to go to bed. I told Deanne that we'd drive to her apartment and that she could come back and pick up Renee while I went to sleep. We arrived at our little apartment and Deanne called over to Brian's house to tell Renee that she was on her way to get her. Renee told her to just come and get her in the morning. After Deanne got off of the phone, she told me that her uh, she told me, and that was that. I was off to sleep. I didn't really think anything about it at the time. I told, uh, I think I did say to Deanne that she would have to go get her in the morning. At this point, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. I wasn't even thinking anything would happen, to be honest. I don't think I even worried about it. I just knew that I was tired and I was going to bed. The next day, Deanne went to Brian's to pick up Renee and bring her home. At least this is what I think happened. My memory about the next day is almost non-existent. I remember later that day Deanna was saying that she thought they, the Brian and Renee, had slept together. She kept bad both of them. She'd known Renee for a long time. I guess they'd grown up in the same town, Moultrie, Georgia. So Deanna already had it in her head or in her mind that Renee was a tramp. I know the first <clears throat> I know the first night that I met Deanna, Renee was there and she actually told me to stay away from Deanna. She said that she heard some bad things about her, so they were already there was already history between those two women. Deanne also didn't care for Brian too much. I'm not sure why, but now that I think about it, she didn't really care for too many of my friends. Now I feel the same way about her. Deanne was a bitch, literally. Anyway, after Deanne told me uh, what she thought had happened, I started thinking about it more and more until, I start, until it started to bug me. I was newly married, and at the time, I had a feeling that Deanne was cheating on me. In about two weeks, my thoughts were confirmed when I found her in the dorm room of a guy that she'd been dating for over a month. So, at the time of the Brian and Renee incident, I was scared of the same thing happening to me, and I thought that was a terrible thing. All I knew about that night was what Dan was feeding me. She told me that she thought that Brian and Renee had had sex that night. She said that Renee never said that they did, but she made references about having sex. Dan was and probably still is a hateful person. She hated most everything. So it's not no surprise that she was talking bad about about other people. I think now that she was interested I think now that she was interested in this event because it would take the attention off of what she was doing to me. To her it was justified if someone else was doing it. I've never been able to explain why she took such an interest in what happened that night. It was all speculation on my part. As that Sunday wore on, I heard more and more about what Deanne wanted me to do. She said that I should tell Brandy about what happened and I remember telling her that I didn't want to get involved. That was when the verbal assault on me began. She continued to belittle me by saying that I was worthless and that I was not a true friend of Brandy's. She kept saying that a real friend would tell her. At the time, I'd known Brandy from the first day I arrived at Valdosta. She was pregnant with her first child and picked me up at the airport with with, uh, Melinda. That was in 1993. For the next three years, we worked together every day. We became really good friends. I knew Brian, mostly from parties that the pharmacy had put together and a few nights at 265, but at the time, we didn't really have a close friendship. We were more of acquaintances than friends. I'm not saying that I didn't like Brian. We just didn't do a lot of stuff together. He was really good friends with my best friends, uh, Byron, Mark, and Seth, just to name a few. So at the time, I felt that my loyalty was to Brandy. I'm not sure if that makes sense, or not, but that is the way I felt. By the end of that Sunday night, Deanna had convinced me that I needed to get involved. She said if Brandy had information about my wife cheating on me, that Brandy wouldn't let me would have let me know. So I pretty much felt like shit. Deanna had me convinced that Brian and Renee had slept together. So by now, I was feeling more and more like I needed to intervene. Looking back on it now, it was a very naive thing. Uh, to think that you can get involved in a complete in a couple's marriage to try and make things right. At that time, though, I thought I was going to do the right thing. I went to work the next morning at 6 a.m. I was working from 6 to 3, along with a girl named Jules. I can't remember her last name right now, but at the time, we were good friends. When I got to work that morning, she could tell that something was bothering me. For some reason, maybe because I could trust her, I told her what had happened over the weekend. That was the worst thing I could do. That sealed it for me. There was no turning back now. Jules liked to see other people have problems. At the time, she was going through a divorce with her husband, and I think she enjoyed the idea of someone else having marital problems. Jules immediately jumped on the subject. She totally backed up Deanne, saying that I had to tell Brandy about what had happened. Now, I was really stressing out. I was a very shy person at the time. I couldn't tell someone uh, something as little as, hey, you have food in your teeth, let alone tell them that I think their husband cheated on them. So I was truly in a state of panic. Not only was the person that I loved telling me that I should tell Brandy, but now one of my friends and coworkers was telling me the same thing. I knew that I had only one other chance to figure out what to do. I needed to talk to Kenneth, my supervisor, who was the only or the one person I trusted with my life. I knew he had the answers for everything, at least at the time I thought he did. He was the one person that I looked up to and tried to emulate. So now I needed to get his view on the subject. I knew that he would and that he would be the right thing. That he would... I knew what he said would be the right thing for me to do. Man, I forgot how long these stories were, guys. If you're still with me, I applaud you. Uh, Kenneth arrived at work around 7.30 a.m. When he arrived, he knew right away that something was wrong. He asked me and I told him that I needed to talk to him. I was sick to my stomach at this point. I was also nervous that I should... That I think... He might have heard my teeth. I was also so nervous that I think he might have heard my teeth chattering. We went into the back office of the pharmacy and I told him everything that I knew, along with the stuff that Deanne had told me. He dropped his head and sat there in silence for a minute. I don't think he wanted to get in the middle of this one, but he was my supervisor and Brandy's supervisor. I think that he felt he had no choice. He said that I should tell her. I know that he didn't want to go through this. I could see the anguish in his face. Uh, We talked for a little while, and then we went into Lieutenant Colonel Wilson's back office, our pharmacist, and talked to him about it. After a long talk between the two of them, Kenneth brought me back into the office and told me what he thought should should be done. He was still leaving it up to me, but if it had to be told, he thought it would be best if we went to Colonel Wilson's house to tell Brandy. So, the decision was, to, was made to take Brandy to Colonel Wilson's and then tell her why we were all there. I'd do the talking and Kenneth and Colonel would be there for emer- emotional support for Brandy. I don't think that Brandy was coming into work until later in the day. It seems to me that she didn't get there until after lunchtime, but I may be wrong. In the meantime, I called Byron to talk to him about it. I told him what was going on and he immediately told me not to do it. That was a shock. He was the first person to tell me not to say anything. Now I was even more confused. I thought Byron would understand, but in fact, he sounded mad at me. It was too late, though. I was too far into it. I couldn't have got out of it if I wanted to. After getting off the phone with him, I went back up front to work. Uh, When out of nowhere, Brian came to the pharmacy and asked if he could talk to me. I honestly didn't know what he wanted to talk about. I wasn't thinking that Byron had called him, but why wouldn't he? They were best friends. So Brian and I walked out to out to my car, and I climbed into the front driver's seat. He sat in the passenger seat. Brian started talking about the stereo in my car, just making small talk and working up to the real reason for the conversation. I still wasn't thinking that he knew. Then he asked me about it. He asked me what I was going to tell Brandy, and I was shocked. I don't remember even looking him in the eyes the rest of the conversation. I remember staring at the soda machine on the back dock of the hospital the whole time. It felt like a dream. Brian asked me not to say anything. He said nothing happened, and then if I said anything to Brandy, it would ruin his marriage. I told him that I had to tell her. I asked him to tell her, I asked him to tell her, since he said nothing happened. He said he couldn't. Brian said that I didn't understand and that I wasn't, and that I was going to ruin his marriage, his family. I told him that I couldn't live with myself, knowing that I didn't say anything. I'm not sure how long we talked, but during that time, (coughs) he never got mad never said that he would hurt me or anything. He just asked me not to say anything. I don't know what the last words between us were, but when we left the car, I went to the pharmacy. I couldn't believe what had just happened. That was when I realized that Byron must have called him. I was in a state of panic. I don't remember much else about the time between that conversation and my next memory I had. The next thing I remember was making a left on the Bemis Road leaving the base. Kenneth was in the passenger seat and Brandy was in the back seat. I was very curious as to what Uh, She was very curious as to what we were doing. She started to look worried uh, when she saw that Kenneth and I weren't smiling or happy. She knew that something was wrong and wanted to know, so I started to tell her. I said, Brandy, I have to tell you something. I I don't know what happened other than what I'm going to to tell you. I wanted to only tell her what I knew and not what Deanna told me. I think that was what Kenneth had wanted me to do. He didn't think I should give her... Potentially damage, damaging secondhand information from Deanna, so I continued to tell her exactly what I knew and nothing else. She immediately started crying. That was the last thing I remember. I don't remember going to Colonel Wilson's house, and I don't remember leaving. The next thing I remember was sitting on my bed at my apartment, crying. I was taking off my my uniform and changing into different clothes. Deanne came in and asked what I was what was wrong. I started to tell her, and then she said that I was a baby and to stop crying, bitch. That was the worst day of my life up to that point. I'd never been through so much stress in all of my life, and the person that I thought would be there for me told me I was a baby. That's when my world crashed in around me. Good Lord. Alright, almost done. Do I regret what I did? No. Would I ever do it again? No. (laughs) I learned a lot from that day. I learned that each marriage is different. I learned that someone on the outside has no right to interfere with that marriage. I learned that I was lost, that I lost a lot of friends over that. Some I gained back, but some, but my reputation will always be tarnished. My most, the most amazing thing happened though. Brian and I became really good friends, and still are to this day. I'd have to say that he is my best friend now. He knows more about me than most people I've known all my life. We've been through some shit together. That day, 10 years ago, was just the beginning. We both have been through things that no person should ever have to go through. This is a whole other story for a whole other book. I wish I would have never opened my mouth that day. I wish a lot of things didn't happen the way they did. I've apologized to Brian at least 100 times for telling Brandy. You know, the funniest thing, though, he's never once held it against me. That is what friendship is. That is what I learned through all of this. Your friends will always be there for you, no matter what happens. Girlfriends and sometimes wives come and go, but the one person you can count on to get you through the tough times is your friends. I'm very glad to have Brian as a friend. Do I know what happened that night? No, I don't. Have I ever asked? No. It is none of my business. I know that whatever did happen, it wouldn't change our friendship now. For someone to to befriend the person that almost ripped his marriage apart is is an amazing person. Getting choked up. I don't think I could have the courage or forgiveness to do that. I guess that is what makes Brian different from me. This is my story. It is what I remember. Is it 100% true? I doubt it. The mind has a strange way of warping events to allow your mind to better handle the bad things that you have done. What I did was a bad thing. So I think that my mind may have transformed some of the memories to better fit what I want to believe. But this is a true story to the best of my knowledge. I'm definitely not proud of it. I think it is the lowest thing I've ever done, but I learned from it and have moved on. Hopefully I'm better for it. I don't know, I doubt it. All right, that was, oh man, that was long. That was tough to read. I should have read the story first so I could have flowed better through it. Hope it wasn't horribly read. But that's what happened on Mother's Day the day before Mother's Day, really into the, the next day. but And uh, am I proud of it? Uh, hell no, I'm not proud of it. Did it eventually end up being the demise of my marriage? Uh, it's debatable, you know. Uh, read the book if you want. Get the book. It's on lulu.com. It's all fun and games and tell. You can read uh, the stories uh, before that one because it's, it's in chronological order, the stories that I put together. Of uh, some things that I did that were not so nice in a marriage that I shouldn't have done. I was young and dumb and broke. And uh, yeah, that's the story. That's what I wanted to release on Mother's Day. It's a, it's a fantastic story, really. Oh, So no, that didn't ruin our marriage. Um, that was not a reason for her to cheat on me. Uh, her cheating on me didn't ruin didn't ruin our marriage. The entire sequence of events ruined our marriage. Uh, we should have got divorced after a year. We should have got divorced after five years. Um, we actually applied for a divorce after five years and didn't go through with it along with the bankruptcy. So so many things happened during that thing, man. I don't know. But we stuck it. You know, we we lasted over twenty plus years. And uh, I eventually ended it because I, I just, I could not live with the fact that she had cheated on me a few times, a couple of times. I just, I tried to, I tried to put it behind me. I tried to forget about it. I tried to forgive and I have forgiven her, but um, I just could not forget it. Every single day of the year, I thought about it. Every time that she looked at somebody else, uh, glanced at somebody else, a good looking guy, a muscular guy, whatever, I felt very insecure um, after it had happened. And every time that she talked to somebody, looked at somebody, glanced at somebody, made a comment about somebody that she had met or something, I thought the wrong thing. Every single time, I'm like, oh, she likes that guy. Oh, she's gonna be fucking that guy soon. Or, oh, she's gonna talk to that guy. Or, oh, uh, she doesn't like me, she likes him better. Um, you know, his his hair is better, his muscles are better, he's got a better butt, he dresses better whatever. And I, I tried to change who I was to try and fit into a mold of what I thought she was looking for. And really, she just wanted me. She just wanted me. But I could not forgive her. And I could not forget. So I asked for a divorce. And we, we got divorced. And sometimes I think it was uh, was probably the worst decision of my life. And I shouldn't have. I should have stuck it out. I should have, you know, Now that I've, now that I look back on it, I'm like, holy shit. Why didn't you just push through it, Brian? I mean, you're stronger than that. You're you're better. You're way stronger than that mentally. You should have been able to get past that, but did not. So shit happens, right? It is what it is, some people will say. I don't say that, but some people will say that. It is not what it is. It is what I made it. It is what she made it. And uh, things happened because of the things that we put into place that we put into motion. So I think that's it, guys. think I'm going to wrap it up. That was a very long episode to read a story that was probably boring as fuck. But there it is. If you want to read the rest of the stories, it's all fun and games. And tell lulu.com. And guess what, guys? We'll talk to you soon.